You are listening to Serva Soundbites, the official podcast of Serva, a leading global relocation management and moving services company. We aim to bring you authentic and insightful discussions on the latest trends and best practices in global talent mobility and the evolving future of work. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Serva Soundbites. I'm Emma Dodwell-Groves, Senior Manager of the Global Advisory Services Team at Serva, and I will be your host for today's podcast episode. We're very happy to have Mark Coolidge, the Director of the Global Supply Chain at Serva, with us today, and we'll be discussing a topic that is close to both of our hearts. Thank you, Emma. I'm really excited to be here. So today we'll be talking about all things ESG. Now, that's a term that's been thrown around in the corporate world a lot. I'm not sure that people fully understand quite what it is. Yes, it's actually it's one of the kind of hottest topics right now. But at the same time, it can be confusing. And uh, the terminology can, can lead to kind of different direction as far as what people are talking about. Right. So since we have you as our, our pro here on the podcast, let's start with defining from your perspective what ESG means more generally, and then maybe more specifically what it means in global talent mobility. Sure. So let's let's start out with some kind of definitions. Um, I think the really common terms that are used, you, you hear ESG, you hear CSR, you hear sustainability. Mm-hmm. And so I think you can define like CSR is it, it's literally corporate social responsibility. So this is kind of a self-regulating business model, helps a company be socially accountable for itself and stakeholders in public. It is also kind of basically the same thing as corporate citizenship. Kind of the question, are you being a good company? Right. Whereas, ES- yeah, whereas ESG is, is literally environmental, social, and governance. So this is more of a set of standards used for a company's operations. They sound very similar, but if you think about CSR as more of a qualitative measurement, and then ESG is more quantitative. And terms are often used interchangeably. CSR, you know, I don't know people might get more confused about that. ESG kind of thing runs, runs off the tongue a lot easier. Hmm. Um, so usually that's the term you hear the most, ESG. But there's one other word, word that's used a lot, and that's sustainability. And this is, this is the tricky one. Sustainability can usually mean one of two things. It can refer to environmental programs you know, kind of the what you're doing with the environment, green space, all that measures and stuff. But it also can be used interchangeably with CSR. In fact, it's, it's probably more commonly used than CSR. So this is the idea that a sustainable company is doing good things, they're doing business the right way. And thus, you know, by being a, a good corporate citizen, you're going to be a successful company and a sustainable company. But for me personally, I think this is where it gets a little bit kind of, I guess maybe the cynical side of me jokes about how you can be a bad company, do things, you know, that that are polluting the earth or, you know, maybe not the the most ethical way uh, and still be very successful. So, and you can be very sustainable that way. So the other thing too with sustainability is I think about growing up in the Southwest and Phoenix, you think of water rights and all that. So I always think about the environmental aspect. So me personally, when I use the term, sustainable, I'm thinking environment. But the key is, is you have to listen to what the speaker is saying and, and listen to how they're using the words. And so that way you can pivot correctly if if they're using sustainability to talk about really CSR versus they're purely talking about it from the environmental standpoint. Right. So we're saying 
in some perspectives, it's, is your company sustainable broadly? And is that, is it a sustainable business model? Is it sustainable environmentally, sustainable socially, and for attaining your talent? So all those elements included, and that's sort of the more broad usage. And the way we're focusing, particularly today, I would say ESG can also fit sometimes the DEI content under the S, under the social and I think because we have a separate podcast on that anyway, I think for today's podcast particularly, we're focusing on ESG sustainability from the environmental perspective. Is that right? Yes, I think so. Yeah. And again, this is perfect because you, you, you're defining all those ways you defined um, sustainability is all 100% correct. And that's it's very important that you understand that. But again, just you have to just listen to the speaker and, and know what their, what their context is. And that way you can, you can react appropriately. And I would say as somebody who who's working in, in both of these topics, but maybe a bit more of a focus in DEI myself, that a lot of the strategies I've heard around sustainability, ESG, and DEI, whether they're separated out or put under an ESG umbrella, are, are similar. There are parallels there. They're intertwined, especially in regards to you know tracking and metrics, setting goals, getting buy-in, moving the dial where there's resistance. So I think often they can be siloed, and it's important to have people focusing specifically on them. But I also think it's important, you know, just to sort of mention at the the get-go that the communication between those areas I think is hugely valuable because what can help you make tracks in one area can help you make tracks in the other as well, I think. Exactly. There's a lot of there's a lot of practices or kind of um themes that may be very different, but the the kind of the, the way you deliver, the way you react to those things is, is actually very similar. Right. And the important thing I think, you know, that we're gonna find discussing this today is also that we're talking about it. Whether yeah. we're confused by the terms, whether people fully understand them, engage in the conversation. If you're not talking about it, you're just brushing it under the carpet. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk initially about why this is important right now. As I said, globally, more broadly, and once again, narrowing in on in talent mobility. Why do you think this is so important as a topic? I think it's companies have kind of evolved from the what what are they doing, where are they going, you know, financially, and there's more stakeholder, I guess, accountability. So again, going back to the sustainable term in terms of like doing business for good. There's a, I think, expectation among shareholders and, and younger generations that who you work for, what the company's doing is, is beyond just, you know, their business space. And there's more awareness on what is going on socially. And I mean, you think about it almost like an analogy of like in sports where it used to be, you know, the old the old days where there was, um, there was a quote, I don't remember who it was, said, shut up and dribble. Um, you know, basically the basketball player would is supposed to do their athletic endeavor and then they, they they go home and they don't talk about social things. Whereas today you have people like LeBron James, you know, not necessarily a fan of him as a basketball player, but his social awareness, his his activism is very important. Mm-hmm. And that's different. I think that actually is now carrying over into the, the, the corporate world as well. Yeah, agreed. And I think you, the comment you made on the younger generation is, is apt to what we're seeing over and over again in studies is that the younger generation want their companies to stand for something. They want to work for a company that's representing their values in the wider world. They're checking on Glassdoor whether companies are practicing what they preach, You know whether it's all just greenwashing, which I think we'll come to later as well. <laughs> So there's an authenticity element there that you can't just be talking about it. Your employees need need that to be something that's real and you're moving on as a priority. Yeah. I mean, more broadly, I think there's just the fundamental moral imperative. Of course, this depends on the fact that people believe in. I don't think believe in is the right term because it's not like Santa Claus, but, you know, that understand that global warming is happening and the have a role to play in that, but that there's 
you know, a moral responsibility for everybody, each of us um, individually and as a company to do whatever you can do to, to move that forward. But I know there's also some sort of financial and sort of incentives and initiatives out there. Any of those that you've, you've heard of or that might be relevant to, as to why this is so important right now? Well, I think actually to your point, the, a couple of things you, you mentioned, you talked about the, the, the beliefs. And, and yes, there are people who have different opinions on the, the extent of global warming and, and you know, maybe climate deniers and things like that. And, and that's fine, actually. I think it's important that you don't approach this as, as this kind of um, uh, line in the sand thing where it's like you're right or you're wrong. In some ways, it doesn't really matter. It's that whole point you're talking about the financial aspect is is your customers are expecting this your clients are expecting this in our industry you know we're in the service industry where we are really our customer are big corporate clients who you know whether their intentions are are pure or you know financially motivated these corporate clients and so what happens is you're, you're getting these they are thinking about this they're they're doing this and now they're demanding it in their their downstream you know, with their suppliers and, and other business partners. Right. Um, so I always tell people, it's like, I don't really care if you believe in this stuff, but there's yeah. there's there's benefits in it. So if you don't, there's a financial aspect. If you're, if you're in sales, you know, and, and mm. you're gonna go, can't go into a client or to a prospect and, and try to sell something, and, and they ask you about your, your your green policies, and you're like, ah, you know, I don't believe in that stuff. Yeah. That's not gonna fly. It's like you right. have to have something in place. So it's like. My my thought is okay. Take advantage of that. Take advantage of the, the you know leveraging that business aspect, the financial aspect, to push the cause. Mm, whatever the motivations, it affects the bottom line. It affects your client retention. It affects your growth. It ex- affects your market share. So whatever the reason is, you need to to target to hone your argument with to move the dial forward. Then apply that because it's beneficial in a sort of broad way. Yeah, and 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 who knows? I mean, there there may be cases in the future where there's more governmental, like kind of I don't know, say controls or expectations around this, and so don't wait until all that happens. Right. Um. You so, know, even even just in general, the the whole structure around the green space, so how you measure, how you do all those things, it, it, there's there's some kind of uh, I don't want to say sketches is not the right word, is it's undefined space. There's yeah. There's not like it's it, it's you know there's one way to do things. So the important thing is just. You know, keep moving forward. Keep start going. measuring. Yeah, start <laughs> make measuring. and make pro- make some progress. I think you mentioned that you know the sort of government initiatives there as well, and that we've seen that that in the EU there's certain directives that you need to be following that you need to be reporting. So, like you said, don't wait until you have to. Better if you already have data coming through. There are rewards for that type of thing. There's green bills, so you know you're getting tax breaks for going green in the US and in Australia and other locations. So there's a business argument there. That also ties in with governance. You know, that's that's something that you need to do legally, depending on which markets you're operating in. Yeah, if, if you're doing business outside the U.S., then you, and you have not started, you are behind. Um, yeah. You absolutely yeah. have to be, especially in Europe. It, it's now a given. I think. I think when, what's interesting is in the, the U.S. side of things. I think companies were starting to go this direction uh, a few years ago. Uh, some obviously were going way back, but Europe was already ahead of the curve. Asia, Australia ahead of ahead of the U.S. In the U.S., there was a blip where I think the the main focus focus became on on the diversity issues, which rightfully needed to happen. But that's where a lot of attention, something even in our space is we had both right. planned to go at the same time. And then we're like, oh, wait, we need to divert all our, our resources mm. and attention to the diversity piece. Because you're behind. Because yeah. we were behind. Well, now it's like, you know, if, if you got your, yourself together, you've got, you know, something progressive and, and something, you know, forward thinking in that space. 
now you should be diverting all your attention to to the environmental aspect because again right. european companies they're they're going to be expecting that and i would say i'm just going to reiterate this that the, then the achievements you made in one space you can apply them to the other space. Let's say you want to then refocus back on DEI. How did you determine your metrics? How did you determine the data you can acquire and where from? You know, how were you allocating ownership? Those things can then apply to different spaces and you've already built a model, you know, as to 100%. how it works. It's so much, so much overlap. And that's, I think the mistakes you made, the things that you learned right. can, can apply in this space. And Instead in some ways- Redoing them. It, yeah. yeah, exactly. Redoing them. And, and actually, in some ways, I think what's what's hopeful for the person who's who's worried about, like, where do I begin with in the environmental space? Going back to my comment about how it's not as well-defined, mm-hmm. can't define, like, you know, certified uh, diverse-owned companies. There's not, like, a certification necessarily in the, in the green space. So, so in some ways, you actually have more freedom. You have more- mm-hmm ability to to kind of create your own path. Yeah, while it's all still being built. I think what we're going to focus on a little bit more in the next chunk, if I can define our sections chunks, we're going to definitely go down the supply chain route because, of course, that's an area you're focused in, but also that's that's a major focus of, and I just want to sort of look at the macro, I suppose, on supply chain before we dive into it in more detail a little bit later on. And that is, we are a part of our client's supply chain and our supply chain is a part of our supply chain and their supply chain. And that when we're talking about ESG, we don't exist in a silo anymore. We're a part of our clients' goals, our own goals, our suppliers' goals, and overall national goals. And we're all trying to work together. Well, intent, the intention is to work together to move it forward. So, you know, we're no longer in, in isolation there. Any thoughts on sort of how we fit in a supply chain approach? Yeah. So it's actually, it was interesting. I was on a um, conference last week. It was actually Siemens, it was their sustainability summit uh, mm. they held, held in New York. It was actually cool. They, had, they held it in this building where apparently it's the, like the greenest conference space in the world and, and, and Perfect. built in New York City. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But what, what was interesting is a stat that I heard that I did not know is that and they had several of their customers and clients on panels and stuff talking about this, is that actually it's it's pretty typical for most companies where 90% of your carbon impact is actually coming from your supply chain. Hmm. So that's really, you know, if you're talking about in measuring the scopes one, two, and three, yeah. and, you know, you think, okay, scope one and two are probably, you know, maybe easier to to measure because it's all internal, well, then scope three is where it just gets massive. And right. and when you hear these figures, 90%, um, that's, a, that's a big deal. But right. then I, I think about this way too is okay, so if if a you know client X tells us, okay, we need to start measuring things, we need to have expectations, we need to report on their you know tier two impact uh, or tier three impact, then it, again, this is kind of where it starts to then roll down. And so it's, it's kind of like everybody's impacting each other by just kind of yeah. as you're going down the, the line. So the client to the supplier to their suppliers and then sub suppliers. So very quickly, no pressure, could I ask you to just sort of briefly explain the difference, the tier one, tier two, tier three, for maybe our, maybe our audience that doesn't know. Yeah. So the tier one would be the initial supplier. So if, let's just say it's a bank, is our client, Serva, we are the tier one supplier. And then what happens is then, but at the end of the day, there's these sub suppliers. So it's a destination service provider, an immigration company, a, a moving company mm-hmm. doing the, uh, like the joke is doing the actual work. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the tier two. And then, and so, like in the diversity space, the the reporting is typically tier two. Well, they may look at tier one, and you look at a, a percent of spend that's being used. And then tier two would be this this next level down. So these are all the the people who are touching the the clients' employees, right? And they, if those suppliers have sub suppliers, that's where you get into down to tier three and tier four. And it gets massive. 
and, and then sometimes invisible, yeah. sometimes yeah, really yeah. hard to see, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're going to go definitely into at least at least tier two um, uh, supply chain in a, in a few minutes. But I thought maybe I'd start almost with what I would suppose is tier one with consultation with tier two. <laughs> so, so this is more from my my sort of area of focus when it comes to ESG in um, in the consulting team in global global advisory services. We can give a lot of advice to our clients about their policy structure and their mobility approach that can help change the way that their employees are making decisions, the way that their mobility is structured to help them reduce their environmental impact. So we're helping them to do that. We're helping them to build it and design it. But it's really, you know, their direct impact. They have a little bit of control over that. um, And it's not so far down the line. I thought it was worth maybe just taking a few minutes to, to sort of expand into some of the ways we do that. I think the biggest things in policy changes are the massive areas of focus. The biggest carbon impact you get from an individual move is the relocation itself. You know, any look-see trips and the flights themselves, that's a massive impact. And the shipment of goods, they are the two biggest things. So if you're trying to address the things that have the most impact immediately, those are the ones we look at in policy. So... You, of course, you need them to move to that location. In some moves, maybe you're moving intra-Europe, you could maybe take a train, but most of the time, at least a flight is, is necessary. If they're in economy class, all the better, you know, environmentally speaking. So those types of things that also helps cutting costs if they can switch to economy class when maybe they were business class before. So helps them on the bottom line, but it also helps their environmental impact. But you do need to get them there. We've seen some virtual look-see trips instead of sending someone over or sending less people over that can affect their success or their experience slightly. But often if people are really busy and how good virtual has gotten for certain things, that's no no longer such an issue. You know, maybe you can do it all virtually depending on the location and the resources available. Another big one, and I know this, this spans into your supply chain content is also household goods, right? And that is the reductions can simply be that companies are giving people less, you know, less allowance for household goods. We talked about the younger generation earlier and different attitudes. One of the other things we notice with Gen Z in particular and younger millennials is less material goods. Maybe they don't need to move as much. Maybe they're in a small apartment in New York and they don't have a lot of stuff or some cheap IKEA furniture that they don't need to bring with them. So we've seen companies, you know, give recommendations for local upcycling opportunities, giving them furniture allowances for when they arrive or furniture rental if it's an assignment and they're coming back. And we've seen, you know, we have discard and donate. So that service that helps people to reduce their household goods shipment and and therefore ship less, but also get that back into the community. We've seen public transport allowances for when they get there. So you're like, they're there for maybe two, three years, maybe longer. So potentially having encouraging them not to ship two cars to a place that maybe has great public transport infrastructure. So these seem like small changes, but if you're shifting people's habits, it can make quite a big difference. We find return trips home, that's a real tough one to ask people not to take. But depending on on their family circumstance, it might be something they're willing to trade for. And that sort of leads me into the the CoreFlex content area, which we've seen clients using CoreFlex as an as a green incentivizer. So they say, encouraging people to make greener choices. If you can see what the greener choice is, maybe you're happy to make it. Maybe you're happy not to take so many trips home because none of your family live there anyway. And instead, you'll use it on a bit more of your apartment budget because you care more about where you are and you're not leaving anyone behind. That means you can accommodate people's diversity needs. You can accommodate their particular interests, but you can also really be focused on helping them to pick greener options. Yeah, talking about the tier two, we're talking about the downstream, talking about the 90% suppliers. But the thing is, that's where the actual, maybe where the carbon hits. But 
what you're talking about is actually these these decisions that companies can make that affect that more so than what the actual downstream effect is. So think about it almost like your health. Yeah. It's like your lifestyle choices. So, yes, exactly. The way you live, the way you think you choose that is probably more important than, you know, if I if I choose to eat sugary cereal is more important that than, you know, the company that I buy my cereal from is using sustainable measures to uh, to source their their sugar cane and things like that. So yeah. I think I think really if you think about thematically, that's probably the most important thing is think about the policy. Think about the the how you structure your relocation plans and and I can I cannot emphasize how important this this work that the policy group can do is going to impact the the measurable part. That, that's further down the road. If you can kind of prevent yeah. it from happening in the first place, prevent it from hitting. That's the best way to do it. So let's focus now on on where it hit. So downstream, that's already in policy. That's something they're doing. So the suppliers you're working with, how are we helping them to be greener, and how are we sort of reporting on it? What's our approach? Yeah. So the the most important thing is the awareness. Mm-hmm. The first thing we have to get all the suppliers looking in the right direction. We have mm-hmm. several suppliers that are super advanced in this space. They're already carbon neutral. Some of them are actually carbon negative, some with offsets, some without. But it's it's really about getting all those who are not looking at this in the right direction. And then it starts, it's, you know, starting with the, the basics, you got to start measuring, mm-hmm. uh, find out your baseline, and then you can kind of go from there. So in our case, you know, we're, we're starting the measuring process. So we are not there where we have all the numbers. We don't have all the answers yet. Mm-hmm. But very soon, we will be having metrics that we can use then that we can measure year over year. So then going back to the, my, my comment about the policy piece is, okay, yeah, if you know where you kind of are, then you start making those choices as far as relocation policy, you know, who the suppliers you're working with, right. what they're doing, and then how they're measuring. And then that's where you're going to get the real change. That's where you're going to get the real yeah. So when you talk about, you know, we're, we're measuring and we're in, you know, different levels with our different suppliers and with our different clients. So what about partnerships for that? Are there particular methods through partnerships that are helping with that measuring, that reporting process? Yes, there are. There are several companies out there actually that can do measuring tools or provide measuring capabilities. We actually just recently signed one. And so that's going to be kind of the key to getting all your data in one place and we're going to get real numbers. Mm-hmm. Some do it, you know, via Excel and, you know, kind of the old fashioned way. And that's fine too. Actually, some even really large companies do that. There are companies out there that do measuring. So you have companies like Equivatus and some others out there that are, you know, kind of measures and ratings and stuff like that. The key is to try to pick one, pick something that's going to work, pick something that's going to work for you that allows you to start doing it. I actually, one of our suppliers once quoted to me, it's like, it's almost better to be measuring wrong, Mm. but to be measuring than than anything else. So that's, again, yeah. get started. That's, that's really my, my key message here. Okay. So, I mean, I, we could, of course, talk about this for another million years, but of course, time flies when you're talking about something you care about. And I think we do have to wrap things up. So you've kind of given us a top tip. Do you want to, if people are just taking a sound bite, just give us a sentence of top tip that you'd share with our listeners on the ESG topic? It's really start now. There's a, a quote out there. It's my favorite one. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next mm-hmm. best time is now. So get moving, start somewhere, and then start improving. Get going. Perfect tip. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining us today and sharing so many useful insights around the topic of ESG. Thank you very much. So that brings us to the end of our podcast today. Thank you for listening to Serva Soundbites. And if you enjoy our show, please click subscribe and share and be sure to come back next time. Until then, this is Emma and thank you, Mark. And don't forget, Serva provides everything needed to move talent and deliver experience. See you next time. 